for a second, slightly namely. Hi and welcome, and a special welcome to Mark Witch, who, uh, Mark, I was going to say I was going to get to an action, but Mark, just, do you want to tell us a little about yourself, who you are, what you do? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, thanks Andy, thanks for yeah, inviting me tonight. Um, so my name is Mark Rich, and I I'm, was born in Kingswood in Bristol. Um, I still live in Bristol now, um, so I'm now 44, I'll be 45 in August. So I've lived here basically all my life. Um, I tried to get away, but I haven't been successful. Um, I've been to Bible College um, in Horsham, etc. But yeah, so just a little bit about my story Andy's asked me to share um, tonight. Um, so just briefly, I was, my mum was a Christian, so I went to church from a very early age, from the age of three. Um, my dad was supportive, but didn't sort of come along with us. Um, and I, I became a Christian when I was nine years of age. Um, I knew that going to church didn't, didn't make you a Christian. Um, I knew that you had to make a, a personal decision yourself, even at a very young age. I knew that and nothing dramatic. I just simply asked my mum one, one morning and knelt in the bathroom and gave my life to Jesus. And, and then my journey with the Lord began uh, at nine. Um, I struggled through my teens with various things, as many teenagers do. Um, however, I was baptised uh, in ba believer's baptism, adult baptism, when I was 14. Um, but I did struggle from, through my teens with various, you know, temptations, uh, alcohol, women, you know, other things, you know, that teenagers struggle with. Um, although teenagers nowadays have got additional challenges that I didn't have, social media and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so I had a church background, and then, yeah, and I obviously, you know, some of the worldly stuff crept in when I was in my teens and stuff, but the Lord was always there with me, and yeah, so I qualified um, as an accountant when I was 33, that's been my technique for a long time, but uh, yeah, I've been involved with uh, church ministry, if you like, uh, on and off since I was in my sort of late teens early 20s really um had a bit of a wobble in my 20s as well but yeah when i was um 33 i uh i met andy andy was then the vicar in kingswood holy trinity kingswood and uh yeah and i got involved in street pastors in kingswood and uh yeah i did that with uh andy for ooh, six and a half years i think i was also involved with christians against poverty and a church plant that andy was involved in in kingswood um called all souls as well so yeah i was involved with church ministry for yeah and i have been for 12 years now just very briefly um that was in the sort of east side of bristol in kingswood down end way if you know bristol at all we're now based on the south side of bristol in a place called Hartcliffe, which is a, it's a council estate basically, um, with council flats, etc. And it was built back in the fifties to basically put um, those who are on kind of benefits are out there on the outskirts of the city. So the church that we're involved in now is called the River of Life. Um, it used to be called Hartcliffe Christian Fellowship. And if I showed you a map, it's literally in the middle and it's got about four or five tower blocks around it um so it's a very needy area um me and my wife anna have been there for five and a half years now 
and we took on the senior leadership in October of last year, so during lockdown. So that's kind of a bit of a whirlwind of my life summed up in four and a half minutes of 44 years. That's, that's, that, that's, that's fairly impressive. I was, I was saying that Mark's also got one of those chairs. It looks like he should have a white cat and be like the new Blofeld in the Bond movie when it finally, when it finally comes out. We've also been joined by Dave. Dave's just suddenly appeared. Um, Dave was also one of our Street Pastor teams and led one of the teams um, in Kingswood Street Pastors. In fact, both of you are Kingswood born and bred, aren't you? You're both Kingswood, Kingswood lads. Um, yeah, in fact, um, interesting that my interview, um, when I was applying to be a vicar in Kingswood, um, one of the questions I, I was asked or, or the or discussion we had at the interview was um, my dream was to see um, what would it look like for people who were in Kingswood <laughs> to be properly Kingswoodian, <laughs> but also properly plugged into Jesus. And probably actually you two guys are probably the best example of, of that. Really, you know, people who are, who are definitely true, true, true Kingswood. Um, but also um, true, truly plugged in Jesus. Although um, I would say that both of you are city fans, aren't you? So um, even though it's a, even though it's a slightly more Rovers area. Yeah, you're, you're yeah, definitely. There's <laughs> only one team in Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I did quite a lot of funerals where they played "Goodnight Eileen" as the um, as the coffin went out because that was um that's the Rovers the Rovers song. But yeah. Um, yeah, and and Dave, you're also um, that Dave um, was one of our street pastor teams, but he was also um, you also helped you also were part of a local church which then um, moved to plant another church in French which is slightly further around um, the Ring Road in Bristol, aren't you? So you're part of um, New yeah. Life, is that right? New, Life. New Life Church, yeah, I'm part of the leadership there. Yeah, we've been going since end of 2012. Oh, fantastic! So, yeah. Nearly 10 years now. And so, so how, how long have you known, how long have you known Mark? We're going to be grilling Mark with lots of questions, but as, it, as, it's, no, as, probably, as it's just a few of us, we'll just have to... Maybe, maybe, on him. Yeah, maybe about 15 years, probably now, I guess. Yeah. 12. 12 years, is it? Yeah. February 2009, I came to what was called Bristol Community Church then, in Kingswood, in February, early February 2009. And then I met Dave and yeah. his wife. And then, yeah, 12 years. Cool. One, one of the first questions I was going to ask was a little bit about Street Pastors, really, um, the, the, um, which is one of the, the projects um, Mark and I was involved with and Dave was involved with. Um, do you want to say a little bit about what we, what we did and why we, and how you, how you found it? Would that be that, that whole, whole vision behind there and how, how that maybe helped shape you in being someone who was relaxed and confident in talking about Jesus? So that's a really badly quite flies question. If I wasn't doing it live, I'd do that one again. But <laughs> in fact, in fact, I might be able to see if I can edit it. So, so Mark, tell us a bit about street pastors and um, how maybe that helps you um, get more used to chatting about Jesus on the streets. Or was well, that before street pastors actually, you, was that something you found felt confident with before? Because you've always been quite. Well, it, initially, the church, uh, Chris, Bristol Community Church, that me and David were part of back then. Um, they wanted a youth, a youth worker, and I actually approached the senior pastor at the time, one of the lead pastors, and said, I'd like to be involved with that because I've done youth work. And he said, actually, why don't you speak to the new local vicar called Andy Mason? He's up the road at Holy Trinity. He's looking to do some witnessing amongst the nighttime economy. 
with an initiative called Street Pastors. And I thought, oh, actually, actually, I thought it was youth work, but actually that, that really kind of hit, hit a, note, a good note with me. So, and then obviously I came up and, and you, you, Andy, shared how you brought that, a planted one in Salisbury, the Salisbury Initiative of Street Pastors and, and the vision behind it. And it was just that kind of taking the church, the church in action on the streets. I think that was, you know, the strap, one of the strap lines and it is still one of the strap lines. It's actually church beyond, beyond the walls and taking it out and they're not expecting people to come in um, and talking to people on their level, but without any sort of Christian jargon, because, you know, if you're talking to people who have just come out of a nightclub or pubs, Number one, they've had something to drink and they will tell you what they really think. So at least you know exactly where you stand and what you're dealing with. That's true. Um, Not normally left in much doubt. <laughs> whatsoever. And I, I, I do appreciate that kind of direct honesty. I know some people are not comfortable with that. But also being born and bred and knowing the area and knowing the mindset of the people in the area. I think that was a huge advantage as well. Um, but yeah, I've always loved witnessing telling my story or you know jesus's story of what he's done in my life rather um but also been able to do that in a kind of quite a challenging environment i suppose and because street pastors is very much that but also as well i like the fact that street pastors was it wasn't it wasn't necessarily preaching on the streets but it was you know engaging with people in to showing them the love of jesus in practical ways but also being willing to, if they did ask a question, to openly share um, my faith and what Jesus meant to me. So Street Passes was, yeah, it was such a blessing to me and it also stretched me. Um, and I think that's good, not to the breaking point or, or broke me, but it actually did wonders for my, for my growth and my faith and my dependency on God. I think we often do things like we say, oh, well, I'll get involved with youth work because I've done that before. I feel comfortable with that. And I think sometimes God is saying, well, God isn't necessarily against us doing youth work or things we're comfortable with. But I kind of think that sort of God actually is, you know, almost wants us to maybe not do things we've done before or to be in that place where our faith is, <laughs> isn't comfortable. But we say, well, I could, do, I could do that. Yeah, I could do that. You know, and actually sometimes I think God says, no, no, I don't want you something you can do. <laughs> I want you to only do stuff that, uh, that we can only do to that you need me to be able to do it. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that, almost, I think, we, we like comfort and God likes stretch, I think. Yeah, and I think you know, you're absolutely right. And the senior pastor at the time um, was absolutely wise to do that. And I'm so glad he did. He, yeah. he me basically, the title of that Christian book, I can't remember, I think it's, if you want to walk on water, you need to step out of the boat. Oh, yeah, John, John Altberg, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that title has stuck with me. And I, I think that whole scenario there, I went to my senior pastor and said yeah, you for it no no i think you should step out of the boat i think you should you know push yourself and yeah i think you're right it definitely it was wisdom and i did it and I, i'm so glad i did because otherwise i'd have been stuck in my comfort zone yeah how, how about how about you dave how was your journey into into street pastors because again because i guess you used to get a okay, well sorry maybe i'm casting aspersions but my guess is that back in the day a teenage mark probably went to chases and a few of the other clubs and pubs in kingswood is that once or twice <laughs> yeah, um yeah i did once or twice and um, up until the up until the point i was old enough to go to the pub which sounds awful <laughs> to me but but that is that is the cold reality of it yeah. um so for me i was part of this sort of extended leadership of the church in kingswood that we were part of 
And uh, I always thought it was important, and I still do think it's important, that as a church leader, you have an awareness of what's going on around you. Mm. You know, you can't really uh, feed into a community and have an influence in the community uh, if you don't really know that community. And whilst I've grown up in it, you know, and I've been married for 15 years by that point, and, uh, you, you know, I haven't really been a regular clubber, let's say, certainly not in, in Kingswood. And uh, so I, I sort of said, oh, I'll come along one night, uh and uh so the plan was to come out one night and that was actually just before we actually properly launched street pastors itself when we were just uh sort of a group of christians out on the streets and uh came along one night and uh and that was it really he ended up coming every other night every other friday night and then you know being part of the team to sort of actually formally launch street pastors into kingswood mm-hmm. uh but and i still think that's right i still think it's really important that as leaders uh we're we understand what's going on around us. So like recently is a good example of that. I uh, say recently, forget about 2020, if you, back in uh, August, 2019, uh, I went and did a, uh, a ride along with the, with the police in central Bristol. Um, I, I thought, you don't mean you were nicked. No, I wasn't nicked. No, no. <laughs> um, I, I have some, I have some really good friends who are police officers and I was able to accompany them on a, a, a August bank holiday weekend. Uh, sort of five in the evening till three in the morning um, at the central Bristol uh, response team. And I have to say, it's an eye-opener. Um, what, what those guys are asked to do is pretty phenomenal. And, uh, it, you know, it gives you an eyesight into the local communities that are there, what goes on behind the closed doors quite often. Mm. Um, the real risk that actually people like our emergency services put themselves in, you know, uh, you know, we all think we're good drivers, but until you've done, you know, twice the speed limit through residential areas after somebody, it's, it's an eye-opener, really. And, uh, but I think it's really important that we, we meet people where they're at as well. Mm-hmm. And, and going out on street pastors is exactly that. You're meeting people where they are. Mm-hmm. And I think, one for me, one of the big things about uh, evangelism is that you go to where they are yeah the days of you know holding a, a you know a seeker service and expecting people to rock up on a sunday morning at ten thirty. to be honest i'm not even sure the church wants to rock up at ten thirty on a sunday morning <laughs> let alone let alone the non-church yeah, and out of duty or simple yeah, so, so you know nikki and my wife and i we've set up uh you know if we if we, if we have a church office for us um you, you know it's a bit of a standing joke in, in our little church that our church office is the village pub mm-hmm. You know, we make a point to go in there once a fortnight. You know, we have home group there sometimes. We take part in the quiz night. Mm. Um, after church on a Sunday, you know, we're popping for, for a swifty after church. But actually, we've got to meet the community. Mm. We've got to meet the landlady, got become quite good friends. Um, the church now is followed by the village pub on yeah. Facebook. If yeah. we post something, they repost it. So you, we're meeting a completely different group of people just by having a pint with someone, uh, you know, and meeting them where they are. Um, so I think that's really key, really. I think, um, to use a language that's become very um, common at the moment, at, the, at this time, or, or has been very common, is it's all about bubbles. And I think for a long time, the church has been in a bubble <laughs> that, had yeah. that, that was definitely not infecting or affecting or affecting anybody, anybody else. You know, we were in our own little bubble. And for me, the thing that really got me to start Kingswood, not Kingswood Street Pastors, Salisbury Street Pastors, um, was when I um, was in Salisbury and um, I just got a nudge when I was sprawled out in front of the telly and got a nudge to go and wander around the city centre 
and I didn't want to do it really because it was late and I was tired and I was grumpy and I'm, you know, and you have that thing where God keeps on nudging you, turn the volume up on the telly and you try and pretend you haven't heard and all that sort of stuff because I'm a good Christian like that. <laughs> and eventually, eventually God wore me down and I wandered with a slightly grumpy face down into town. Um, and um, you just realise, I'd, I'd done that evening, I'd been at an Alpha, an Alpha launch, which was incredibly middle class and incredibly sort of churchy. Oh. And then when I went round, wandered around the streets, just having a little look and there people falling out of the kebab place and um, they're being sick in the road and arguing in doorways and all that stuff. I just kind of thought, this is bonkers, but this is actually where Jesus would be. And actually, would Jesus have been at the Alpha launch? Well, I suspect he would, because, you know, he did go to the temple and stuff. But actually, you know, the, the other thing that struck me was every church in the city centre was in darkness and the um, doors were shut on the, um, on the cathedral. Um, as well, you know, they, they, they went, yeah, so keeping people, keeping people out. And I was thinking, actually, this is the opposite of what we need to be, really, that idea about engaging with people where they're, where they're, so either of you got, either of you got any stories of, any favourite stories of your time with, your time with street pastors or your time with doing that sort of street-based, street-based work or work or, or sort of chatting with people who aren't Christians, you know, and, and how you, how you found that? Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, several occasions where, um, just kind of helping. I remember meeting a guy who said that he wanted to follow a career in finance and I was able to, to plug him into a good recruitment agency and he got his mm. career through that. Yeah. Also a practical way of, you know, of connecting with people and meeting them, like you said, with their needs and their wants. And that dream was fulfilled in that sense. But yeah, I mean, I remember standing outside Bristol Community Church with a guy, I think his name was Lucas or it might have been Luke. And, you know, he, he was genuinely asking questions we weren't pushing him and you know i was able to share my testimony and and give it you know share the gospel in in if you like average joe blogs terms with no you know jargon of justification sanctification all those long churchy words that we but it's good yeah quality kingswoodian yeah <laughs> yeah in kingswood language um if you like kingswoodian as you say <laughs> I do remember that. I mean, that was a wonderful time, you know, one of many, you know, getting to pray for people, you know, can you pray for my uncle, who, you know, who's got cancer and stuff. People mm. asking us. But I think one of the key things about street pastors was, and I've heard this said, I only said it last night at our church meeting, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Mm. That's true. And and the consistency of street pastors that we were out week on week and week, it actually in their minds create these these people do really care so that then produces a, a platform and an opening for them to then tell you their story and to be open and ask questions and then you get an opportunity um not to, to bible bash but to, to to present jesus to them in a way which they understand yeah you, you got anything dave you wanna no, thanks, yeah thanks i think i think um uh, and there's various things, but as, as Mark said, as you know, as we, there's lots and lots of things, little things, and they all kind of, so you start thinking about them, they all sort of start flowing to the forward. And I think one thing the street pastors does, it, it, it shocks people, it bucks trends. People have a perception of church and what it is. And I think one good thing about street pastors, is it really breaks down some stereotypes. So, you know, when you've got people coming out of a nightclub and, you know, and wanting to fight each other, and then you've got a you know, 78-year-old, five-foot little old lady stood in the middle saying, just calm it down, boys. Mm. And they look, look at, you remember looking, looking at Shirley, bless her, and saying, well, I'm on a most bit bizarre. Yeah. Uh, you know, I haven't had that much to drink. What's going on? 
you know and but but at the end of the day you know if I, it's six foot four if i stood in the middle yeah i could use my size to stop it but she just stood she's just pile in the middle and you'd have you know lads coming out upset and then they'd be crying their eyes out on her shoulder oh, you know, and opening up and, uh, yeah, I should call her our secret weapon. That's <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, you know, and, and the things that I remember are, as Mark said, it's when you care, when they see that you care. Mm. And, uh, you know, I remember a guy who, uh, a couple actually, a couple of guys, one was in the uh, army, come back on, on R&R for two weeks. Yeah. He's, and he's sort of like, you don't, you know, you won't understand. And I said, well, tell me then, you know. Um, and I'm just stood there chatting for a bit. Uh, and then he sort of started to gradually open up. The more I took interest, the more he opened up. I remember another guy, you know, we were saying to him, look, you know, Jesus loves you, which is an easy sort of thing to throw out sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, no, you can't. You don't know what I've done. And I said, well, I don't care what you've done. And, but he, he does, and he still loves you. Mm-hmm. And then this guy sort of did open up a bit, and, uh, you know, we had a good two-hour conversation with him. And I, I know I know now he is in prison because of some of the things he did and has done since. And uh, but hopefully that those conversations, you know, made a difference to him and maybe they put a platform and so to see that is now sprouting in his life. And it's it's those sorts of things that I think are were amazing. I think also the how actually it's not one church. Mm. I think that that for me if you said to me one thing that would change my thinking is around actually is churches working together. Mm. And I'd say that, you know, there were multiple, as you know, there were multiple churches in Kingswood, all different denominations who historically never worked together. Mm. If anything, worked against each other. Mm. Um, but we, yeah. was, but we, we ended up, you know, the three of us is, is you now running weeks and things and team leading. You know, I, I remember, you know, saying, well, actually I've got a key to, you know, and the alarm codes to like four or five different churches on the high street, yeah. only one of which was my own. You know, <laughs> yeah. there's only people who get, you know, just get access to the parish church or get access to the Salvation Army or, yeah. you know, the other churches. And, and so there are those sort of things which I think blew my mind. The more bizarre ones, I think, were freezing cold winter nights, you know, going with Michael into the Salvation Army. And, you know, it's like that game where you have to put a bobble out on in a scarf and eat a bar of chocolate. We like wrap ourselves up in as much. So you know it was that was brilliant and uh and there's not many people who said that you can say they've been clubbing with the archbishop of canterbury of course well that's true yeah both of both of you did i got the bishop of bristol who's yeah yeah right, nice guy but not the abc <laughs> yeah, no but although you did get the girl want, getting him to sing happy birthday and flashing of course which, uh, yeah, I've, <laughs> I, I've actually I, I actually had to write a thing in the I don't, um, this might not be appropriate to say, actually, but never mind, we're recording. Um, I, I've, I've written a book that's coming out hopefully fairly soon, and I've put a little bit about Justin Welby coming out, and um, yeah, uh, um, yeah, Joe, who's editing these, um, said, um, did he say anything, did he say anything, um, <laughs> did anything interesting happen? And I was like, well, yeah, do, but do I, do I put flashing, but the Archbishop of Canterbury came to Kingswood and got flashed, <laughs> as, as, you know, yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like a sort of revival story. <laughs> I, I, I think the funniest bit about that was that he, he wore black, his black shirt and dog collar, yeah. and uh, Bishop Mike wore purple. And so yeah. it looked like Bishop Mike was the more senior. So he got all the attention whilst Justin Welby just stood back and laughed at him for large parts of it. <laughs> Because no one had a clue who he was. It was quite amusing. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think probably that's probably quite great, actually, because I bet he gets a lot of people faffing around him, giving him all, yeah. giving him all, all this sort of um, 
bigging him up and actually, you know, probably realising that actually in the grand scheme of things, people don't know. You know, right. the whole churchy bubble is irrelevant to most people, you know, kind of, you know, that's the Archbishop of Canterbury. Which one? Yeah, what, what, what? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, remember ta- I remember talking about Archbishop. He came, didn't even, he, he's supposed to refer to him as Archbishop or Your Grace, and he, he didn't want any of that. He just said, no, just trust him. Yeah, just yeah. yeah. I kind of think there's a real, real humility about that because, you know, I, you know, I don't know. Could you just call me my lord? That's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just call me sir. That'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I did. I probably shouldn't tell you because it's a bit rude about Bishop Mike, but somebody kind of, um, I can't, I can't do the Bristol accent. I was there eight years and I still can't do a Bristol accent, Bristolian accent. Actually, neither of you, you but neither, you, neither, you have got both got accents, but you're not particularly strong, are you? You're not like, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can when I need to be. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, one of them saw my dog collar and said, Ira, you're a vicar, and then turned to Bishop Mike and said, Ira, you're a vicar, and to which Bishop Mike said, no, I'm a bishop. And I thought, of all the, you, could have, you should have just said yes. It was much easier, yes. but yeah. No, uh, bishop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. I remember also there was this photo where Bishop Mike had like, you know, three girls wanting a selfie with him, and they're all quite pretty, and it was a bit like the new Bond was, it wasn't up to much, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beauty and the Bish, you know. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, but actually, one thing that I'm interested with street pastors, I don't know how people found, how you guys found before we're talking about your faith, but for me, actually, it sharpened me up just because you're never quite sure what conversation you got. You were being out there overtly Christian, but not in your face. You know, people could, knew you were a street pastor. They knew, they knew the people who came out every Friday were Christians from local churches. Um, so you didn't really know quite what they were going to say, you know. Um, but you often, got, you often got faith questions. In fact, I remember you used to get... Um, a guy called Martin got someone shouting, "Oi, oi, street pastor! And um, what about dinosaurs?" And, you know, and and you know, and, and you and like I say, instantly straight into a conversation about Genesis and biblical biblical, you know, reliability or whatever, you know, which is actually what the question is probably about. And I, I don't know, I'm not sure what the question is, but for me, it certainly it certainly kept me sharp. I think. Um, but I was thinking, in in ordinary everyday life, sometimes you can go quite a while without actually having any conversation about faith really did, did how, how do you how did you guys find that did did street pastors help you become a better evangelist type person and did yeah transfer think... into into to, mm. you have like proper jobs rather than me who was a vicar <laughs> um do you did you did you find it made a difference elsewhere it sharpens you it sharpens you up because you can't prepare or you have to you have to be prepared to prepare a message or a sermon where you deliver something you have to be constantly on your toes and be prepared in your, in your own heart and in your own God because no night out on the street as a street pastor was ever the same was it it was never <laughs> and anything could happen <laughs> not, you know prayer him preach prayer him you know it was never that it's not a church service it's not even an evangelism event inside a church like you said a seeker service Dave it was mm. out on their terms and anything literally anything could happen at any point you could be asked any question about anything we had questions about aliens and dinosaurs and the animals go to heaven to all the all the different things that people um would ask you know the, the most common one what is if there is a god then why is there so much suffering in the world was the most common question that people would bring and interesting that whenever we were asked that question, there was always a personal application of that question. So mm. if, if there's if there's a God, why is there much suffering in the world? But then the question would then go on to the personal application was, 
ah, but if there's a God, why is my uncle dying of cancer? That was actually a more personal application of that question. Um, but I remember, and you guys remember that sometimes you'd have a fairly quiet night when it comes to conversations about faith and God and the universe. And it would be literally towards the end of the night, 3 a.m. or quarter past three, half past three, when we're due to actually go back and kind of get into our cars at 4 a.m., that we'd have a really good conversation, a really deep conversation. And, you know, people, you know, had had a drink or, you know, at the end of the night and they felt they could just speak their minds and they would really just tell you how they really thought and how they really felt about everything. And it did actually give us a great opportunity to, to really kind of speak quite direct into situations. Um, yeah. I used to find there was something in that where you almost, it was almost God like saying, how much do you really want to tell people about me? Cause you know, that bit where you got so cold sometimes you someone's got so wet. Sometimes you sometimes had a, you know, however much you try and juggle your diary, you were, I nearly always end up having a busy Saturday. You just, you know, it just never quite worked out as, as, yeah, as you wanted to. And you know, that bit where it's like, I want to go home. I want to go to bed. I'm tired. I've, I've, I've hit a wall. And then you get a really good conversation and you'd be like, no, I'm going to stay here and finish this conversation because it's important. It's the kingdom. But there's also part of you where it's, you know, sometimes where it's, it's almost that sacrifice. I think God, God rejoices in because actually it's, you know, <laughs> the only reason you're there at three o'clock in the morning when you're absolutely hanging is because you love Jesus and you believe it's true. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I agree with Mark. I think it's uh, the conversations at the end of the night. And as you said, Andy, that you can go the whole night and, you get to the point where it's three o'clock you think right we're going to head back now to the church and you know finish up and get back in the car and we're walking back down the high street and you know i remember i can't remember you were there but we we had a sort of a 20 minute conversation with a couple of girls about why there was so much cabbage or, or in a donna kebab you know which <laughs> yeah. went on and on, and on but first of all it was convincing her that it was cabbage and not lettuce um ground isn't it and then yeah and then uh but then it carried on. I think it lasted about an hour in the end. You know, it starts off with 20 minutes about cabbage and 40 minutes afterwards, you know, about God and about Jesus and and life and everything in between. Um, but but it is just starting the converse, starting a conversation really about anything. Yeah. And, and I think what it taught me was that um, in many ways, the best form of evangelism is the way you live your life. Mm. And, and being kind, showing people kindness often just as the breaking point that starts them talking you know if you're kind to someone if you help someone up and they've fallen over or just help someone cross the road you know anything it can be chat to somebody about their you know about their kebab <laughs> they then start a conversation and they, it rolls on because they they want to talk about it they just don't know who to talk about it to um but you've got to break down that barrier so yeah there were some really bizarre conversations that ended up like brilliant conversations <laughs> was jesus and, uh, yeah was jesus an alien dot 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 discuss or whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were mentioning about shirley our, our 78 our 70 something year old um volunteer i remember sadly she died and um i remember a funeral i think mark was there as well and um one of the stories was that her grandson rang her son saying there's a fight in kingswood and the dad said well you know what i've said Son just 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 walk past and says, "I can't." Nan's in the middle of it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> need, to that, need to say that's not how Shirley died. Okay, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah. Oh, 
it was brilliant. I remember the first day we were due to go out, she, she, she said to me afterwards, I'm really sorry I'm not able to go out with the um, street pastors um, this evening. And I said, oh, no, that's a shame, Shelley. Why is that? I've got a parachute jump in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> True story. True story. I yeah. think I'm in their 70s. I want to be right, Shirley. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think in the, in the two or three years I knew her, um, she yeah, did a parachute jump, abseiled down the Aden Gorge, um, slept out two nights like for, for homeless, um, and was actually an incredible, incredible lady, really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a real witness to all of us, actually, that it doesn't matter who you are, there's always something you can do. And I think that's, you know, that's a message for everyone, really. A lot of people, you know, I, I can't do that. Well, I can't do street pastors. Oh, and I don't like nightclubs or I don't like being around drunk people. Well, you know, Shelley was five foot tall and in the late seventies and she was probably the best at it than any of us. Yeah. Diary on a Saturday and she never made the excuse. We're talking about, you know, us, we knew her really well and stuff and, Hopefully we're communicating that on this recording. What a wonderful woman she yeah. is. Um, but she'd come out on the street passes and she'd go go home at three, four in the morning and she'd get up at like eight, nine o'clock and go help at a place called Hop, Skip and Jump for, um, I think it was for disadvantaged kids. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Kingswood as well. Incredibly, she just just give and give of her time and her love. And um, yeah, she was an inspiration. Like you said, best things come in small packages. She was about five foot tall, wasn't she? But yeah. My word, she was she was amazing to serve with. Yeah. yeah. So, so both of you now have moved from Street Pastors and now are um and now um involved in leading churches. How 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 do you how do you find that sort of trying to encourage other people in um in how have you found that sort of transition from going from a a church member to a church leader? How's how's that been for for both of you? Okay, first start. So I was in a sort of an extended leadership role before. Um, we moved into the new church and uh, carried on with street pastors. And uh, but I kind of knew that uh, God was sort of telling me to just review everything I was involved with across the board, really. And uh, which I did. I took everything to him, laid it all down. And uh, street pastors was bizarrely the thing that he told me to lay down, and I, I didn't really understand it at the time. So I really enjoyed it. You know, there were plenty of other things. I didn't enjoy as much. I'd quite happily have laid down, but uh, but it was street pastors that, that I was told to do. So I, I remember giving my notice uh, to you guys and saying that you know I'm going to step step down now and step away. Um, let someone else take take on my team, and uh, I think I did my last one on the sort of a Friday in sort of July um, time, uh, and then on the Sunday um, we were, I was in a leadership meeting at church and senior leader stepped down and I found myself you know going from number three to number two if you like um and having to take on loads more responsibility so God knew what the timing was knew what I needed to do and knew that if I was exhausted on a on a Saturday Sunday I couldn't really do the role I needed to play on a Sunday morning um how has it changed me since that's an interesting one I mean I'd like to say it hasn't I mean you are you know drunk people come out of a nightclub is like herding sheep you know <laughs> you, you know in many ways um it's not too different on a sunday morning is it sometimes if we're honest it can be yeah. um d- different That's set of sheep but, but uh, yeah and you've everyone's got their own opinion about how things should happen and you know it's no different it just uh, it's people management in many ways um but uh 
yeah, I miss it. I do miss it still. Um, and uh, but church leadership is slightly more tricky. You're dealing with Christians a lot more than you are non-Christians. Um, but you still have to be on your on your toes and still yeah, you need to need to take them forward on their journey. It's just you're just a bit further along the journey. Um, then you are with people who don't know Jesus at all. Yeah, as we all are, we're all on the same journey, yeah. just different different stages of it. Yeah, I mean, for, for, for me, for me, it was almost the street pastors bit enabled me to kept me sane enough to well ish enough to do the do the more drier bits. But yeah, you know, actually, you need a bit of excitement in your faith and ministry that actually enabled me to to do what was quite a dry church at times, so quite hard. So it's yeah, so yeah. How about you, Mark? How did how did how, what's how did you find? the yeah now moving from moving into church leadership how have you found that that transition i know you're still very much well both of you still got doing that alongside a um alongside a full-time job as well you're leading churches mm. and is it bivocational is that the posh word mad i think it's the <laughs> yeah. yeah i can i can spell mad i can't spell bivocational <laughs> but yeah yeah i mean yeah. For me, a transitional thing i mean um obviously i'm still involved with my finance job but my journey has been very much like the senior pastor um who i've just kind of stepped into the shoes of um back in october i might write a book myself andy called taking uh, taking on church leadership during the pandemic um <laughs> which is very interesting to be handed the reins when you're in the middle of a, a global pandemic that the world's not seen for 100 years so yeah, that was quite trying to, trying to, you know, lead a church and pastor people and be there for people to remotely via Zoom and text and WhatsApp and Messenger and all that. Um, and meeting them one-to-one when we could, you know, all these different yeah. things. So, yeah, it's been, um, it's, been a, it's been a baptism of fire almost in that sense because um, the church is probably 100, 120 strong. So, um, and within that, there are different, schools of thought and dave mentioned it then you know we should do it this way we want to do it this way well i think this and i think that and we should do this and you know all different sheep within one sheep pen um and some of them you know jostling for a position whatever you know there's others that need a bit of an arm on their shoulder and dave's just something a lot of it is about people management and knowing what makes a certain person tick what they need um and just you know, the shepherd knows his sheep, you know, well, that one there and that one there and that's so-and-so and that one's, you know, and it's getting to know them. But that's, that's been challenging from that perspective um, because of lockdowns. Mm. It's something is that we were made for community, weren't we? We were made to be together. Mm. Um, Zoom has been a, a wonderful sticky plaster, but it's not the real thing. Mm. I mean, communion by Zoom or prayer meeting by Zoom is okay, but it's not, it's not what we were made for, isn't it? We were made to be together, whether that be in a garden, a church building, or wherever. Church is the people, isn't it? So for me, I mean, even now, I'm still doing the other job, but my, I'm fading that job out, and church is, has become more of the focus, if you like, and the balance is, you know, till one day I will completely do away with my finance job. Hallelujah. Um, after 25 years of doing it, I'm coming to the end of it. You, you are the least boring accountant I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm <boring>. Grace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 25 years, 
<laughs> my favourite my favorite joke, sorry about this, Mark, is um, a guy walks into a pub with a crocodile and says, do you serve accountants? So he says, yeah, of course we do. He says, okay, I'm going to have a pint and an accountant for the crocodile. <laughs> sorry, yeah, I, I thought it was funny. <laughs> That's a father-in-law joke, Andy. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that is. I'm, I'm, yeah, like I say, if this if this wasn't going out live, I would edit it or I'll get it edited. <laughs> um, I can't remember what I was going to say now, but um, but there's something quite interesting as well about the pastoring thing. Actually, about you, you were saying, Marcus, particularly that somebody actually said in you, I can see a gift of evangelism in you. That 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 you know, actually, you need to do more than just fill this gap that we've got on our rotor. And actually, what you need to do is be yeah is to be released to go out to do something outside our church um and i guess that you're now in that position to be doing that for other other people you know to say actually i can see a gift in you to to do something that isn't plugging the gap because if you're running a church as always you always need people to fill all the gaps mm. and to actually say no no actually i think god's calling you over here is quite a quite an interesting challenge yeah, and I think one of the, 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 the advantages that me and Anda and I've had is we've, we've been at the church for five years. So it's not like we've come into a new church as new leaders. We know the church family already for five years. Yeah. Like, and Nikki, you've known the New Life Church guys for many years. So then actually stepping into that leadership role that you've been in for years now, mm. knowing the people already... And we always say we should always min you should always minister out of relationships, shouldn't you? You know, you get people in to speak. You know, that's why Andy, you come and preach at our place because there's a there's a relationship there. It's not who's this guy. Um, and I think that's important. And that's, that has helped. Mm -hmm. Even though there's been a lockdown, the fact that we already have a relationship with these people, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it it kind of it, it kind of helps. It well, massively helps because you already know how they tick, and you know how to kind of encourage them and spur them on and how are you have you both found evangelism in um in lockdown because you know we're talking about pastoring the people you've already got but how about that sort of encountering and building relationship and building bridges and reaching out to those who currently aren't in your churches how, how have you both found doing that in the midst of a midst of a lockdown it's been interesting if I'm honest because you you just have to do things differently um in some ways I think it's been really good and I think actually you know we talk about certainly in in our workplace environment I'm sure Mark's to say the you know you have transformation directors and things and uh you know these people that get get brought in and you know to transform your business and the way it works and uh, they come up with some amazing ideas and you know out of the hundred ideas you might you might do one um you know might half do to do a second one covid's come in and kind of like you know done more for transformation and certainly digital transformation than any transformation director ever has done in, in 100 years <laughs> yeah. you know and the church has gone from being a dinosaur meeting on a sunday morning yeah. to an online presence uh, solely um and i think it now needs to transition forwards into something that is both online and uh, in person and I, that doesn't mean to say you just stream your sunday services because they're very different yeah and I, I thought for a while that actually um whilst before historically you know our we had home groups for for the church members during the week and sunday mornings you invite visitors to i have to think that's that's kind of flipped on itself mm -hmm. uh, and i was kind of thinking that for a little while before lockdown where Sunday mornings has, had become more about the church gathering together to grow. 
because it was only the church that I said that we're prepared to get up on a Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually, midweeks are where you you do evangelism. Midweeks, you invite people to your home for a meal. You know, you maybe go out together and go bowling, and you just you know, evangelism is not standing on a soapbox anymore. I don't think. And you now, evangelism for me is going to the bowling alley and then with with all your mates from church having a laugh, and whilst you're having a laugh, turning to the people in the alley next to you and having a chat. Mm. You know, say, oh, how do you guys all know each other? Oh, we all go to church. Mm. Really? Yeah. You, know, you don't look like people who go to church. Yeah. You know, you don't look like songs of praise. You, you know, that's not... <laughs> you like Kate Botley. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're not, you're not that you're kind of... You're, I thought Thor... You don't look like Thor Hood. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but that that's people's perception. And so I think... Evangelism for me is about being real, having fun. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're not having fun when you're doing evangelism, what makes you think anyone's going to be attracted to it? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so, you know, we will go out with, with some of my closest friends. You know, if you t- looked at us and lined us up, you would say those people, they are not friends. You know, my, my, two of my best friends in church are one's late 50s, one's early 60s. I'm still in my 40s, just. And... <laughs> the reality is though when we go out we have a proper laugh together yeah so you know we can go shopping you know for a church lunch you know when we're at new wine and i, I can turn around to my mate pete and say oh do you reckon you can get in there and in, in, like in the tesco's and uh and he'll go oh, i'll give it a go and next thing you know he's climbing head first into the ball pit on a shelf you know <laughs> through the little like bungee cords that'll <laughs> the kids balls in and he's getting inside of it and then just like popping his head out when people come past and saying hello He's just a complete nutcase, but but it's just having you know we have fun together. Yeah. But equally, when we do evangelism, we do, we have fun together. It's yeah. the same thing, and so you'll get somebody who never goes to church, but can have a good conversation with you, and, and will approach you, mm. you know, because they see you having a laugh. They'll start a conversation, and then all of a sudden, you start building on it. It's not twenty minutes; it's an ongoing process. Yeah. Um, and it's about doing life and. You know, for us, we changed our uh, our church around. We flipped on its head where um, churches often have, like, you know, really good strap lines and things. And for us, um, there was about three things, really. Um, and we flipped the first two to a lot of churches. So for a lot of churches, it was, it's believe, belong, become. So you believe, you belong part of the church, and you become what you need to be. But we flipped the first two. Right. So we put, we put belong first. Mm-hmm. I'd rather somebody come to our church, feel like they belong. You know, mm. if it was a Muslim or a Sikh or somebody who have no faith at all, mm. if they feel that they belong in our building on a Sunday morning, they can come. Yeah, and we'll be filled up, made to feel welcome in the exact same way as anyone else. Then, once you've built that relationship, then we can worry about whether they believe. Mm. But trying to just bash somebody you'd have no relationship with at all and get them to believe is impossible mm. in, in today's society because they just walk away. Mm. You know then there's so many other things they can do on a Sunday morning now. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was growing up, the shops weren't open, you know, bar, there was no, virtually no telly on a Sunday morning. Um, so what do you do? Well, you went to church because that was all there was to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, now it's, it's the furthest thing from people's minds. Um, so you just have to, you have to build those relationships um, and then just show them actually what it is to be a Christian. Yeah. By the way you live, by the way you live your life. Okay, yes, you can still have fun as a Christian. You know, it's okay to go to the pub, you know, and have, and have a pint. You know, it's okay to go to football and, you know, and, and cheer a team on. For, for me, one of the things, 
I did on a Sunday morning was when my son got to 15, he wanted to play, play rugby. You know, he was playing at school, but he wanted to play club rugby. And historically, if your kid wanted to do something on a Sunday morning, you know, as a Christian, that was a major issue. So what we said was, well, okay, you can play every other week. And so every other week, I, I accept that you won't be in church, but you'll be at rugby. And for me, that was part of a parenting decision as much as it was anything else. But, you know, I, I used to go along. We used to go away on rugby tours at Easter. You know, I was never in church for three years. I didn't, I didn't go to church over Easter. I was away on a rugby tour in Cornwall. No, but on Easter Sunday, I got up on the coach with a microphone. I had 52 like other blokes there and, and you know, 17, 18 year olds and all their dads. And I was able to like say, look, you know, it's Easter Sunday. Here's an Easter egg from, from us and, and from everybody at our church. And they were just blown away. You know, we sponsored their kit. Mm. And so, you know, there's like New Life Church blazoned over the evening post. They were a successful team. But, you know, it, it shocked people. It's like, well, hang on, a church sponsoring a rugby club. How does that work? Surely you need money for your roof. Mm. You know, and it's like, no, actually, we want to give money yeah. into the community. We want to invest in the community, not ask the community for money. And that's the bit where it shocks people. But I had some phenomenal conversations. Mm. And, uh, and the discussion over whether we should sponsor their kit, I, I stayed out of. But the chair of trustees said, what we're doing is we're investing in your ministry. Mm. You know, that rugby club is your ministry mm. for this period of time. So, you know, you have to look at everything and step back and say, what church was isn't what church is. Church is now, is, I think, it's a very different beast. Um, if I can use the word beast to describe church. It's, very different. it's a very different <laughs> <Yeah>. lamb. And, <laughs> um, mixing, but, the bi- uh, mixing the biblical metaphors a little bit. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, it, but it, it is, you know, but Mark be the same on the council state. You, you know, you can't, you can't be somebody who looks down and says, come to us. You've got to be someone who goes there and shows, demonstrates. Definitely. Definitely. And the, the other thing I would, I would like to say with that just is, is that, that you know, it's good they recognised um, the rugby club as your ministry because so often we think of a ministry has to be an official thing that's recognised and sponsored by the church and actually no this was just you being a dad but your, but yeah. your ministry was, be, was being a, a, a Christian amongst the people you were and, and loving them and being there Absolutely. and actually it, it was it was seen as ministry rather than seen as you know often they'll be like oh well Dave's not very committed yeah. oh. I mean, it's actually see it's actually a completely different mindset saying actually isn't it's, it great that we've got a Christian in the midst of that community that's blessing and loving them? I know. I, I remember, I remember going to a, a, a seminar at New Wine with Gavin Calver, who was, I yeah. think, then at Christ, with Christians in Sport, now Evangelical Alliance. And he, he, I think he said, you know, if someone's gifted to play the guitar in a church, you know, they rock up to church with their guitar and their, you know, their ironic hairstyle, and they're, like, worshipped almost as much as, as Jesus. But if God gifts somebody to play rugby or play professional sport, they're looked down on because they're not in church on Sunday morning. Mm. So we were judging what gifts God gives. And he said, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, he said, you know, somebody in church might get to, to get to, you know, uh, speak to, you know, 100 people or, or, you know, in a big church, you know, 500 people. He said, you know, you've got a professional football player, they're speaking to 40,000 people. Yeah, yeah. Every time they speak, um, he said, "We've got to like reimagine what it is and, and reevaluate giftings and things." Mm. Definitely, definitely. Mark, Mark, what would you, what, what, what would you say? What would you, thank you. What would you say is your your response to that? 
I can't remember the original question actually, but can you? Oh, yeah. actually, but I've written down a couple of things. It's interesting that Dave's just said something that I was going to say myself belong, believe, and then behave. And I actually used different language last Sunday about people belonging to the church family, the river family. They, do you feel belong? You belong to the family. And in fact, we had, Dave, you'll remember, we used to have family time. We introduced that yeah. to the last night family time. We called it river family time. People could come and it was more informal it was more about you can ask questions it wasn't that just from the front us talking and people really enjoyed that but we said that you the idea is that you come and you belong you feel like you belong part of the river family with the anticipation you become part of the family of god and obviously the distinction is there but it's the same principle Be, belong belief then behave you know mm. we can expect and like david said you know particularly in hartcliffe you guys know hartcliffe you know I mean, the backdrop, you know, th these people have no understanding of church, the Bible, God, nothing, nothing. And the only thing they know and the reference point that they have is films or telly. And I watched a program the other night and I sat there with Anna and they showed a scene of a church. And I said, I looked at Anna and I said, if I didn't go to church and that was the only thing I could use as a reference point for church, I wouldn't go. Mm. Because it just looked dull and boring. It looked lifeless. It looked, it looked, the TV programme presented it as irrelevant almost, that it was not relevant for this time. Mm -hmm. And that, but that's the TVs, and that is sometimes people's perception in their minds of what Christians and church is like. If that's their only reference point, then going back to street pastors and what Dave's just talked about, about going to the bowling alley, going to the rugby club, mm -hmm. actually showing these people we don't have two heads. You know, that we do live normal lives, that we do enjoy that they, you like football? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I support Manchester, what? You know, but they, they almost seem surprised by it. Yeah. But TV, and they, they've got no reference point and people don't go to Sunday school now. So we, it's not like they've got any knowledge at all. So it's, that's why Street Pastors was, is such a, a blessing of an initiative because it's going meeting people where they're, where they're at and going back to just repeating some of the stuff that, that, that Dave said that I was going to say the same thing COVID forced us online mm. and now we as a church are meeting together because we own our own building so we're able to do that with COVID obviously restrictions and stuff but we've not ceased to be a presence online we've continued both now and actually and I've spoke to many church leaders that before COVID and now they're reaching three or four more times if not more I mean, globally, we're reaching people globally. A church in Hartcliffe, we've got people reviewing in the Philippines, in Texas, Kentucky. You can do the analytics on YouTube. These, so the, the reach of the church has, has expanded massively under a pandemic because yeah. churches have been forced to. And I think to drop that online presence because we're back in person, I don't think, I agree with Dave, I think we should keep both of them. Mm. And yeah just just i know a church in in birmingham um i won't mention it just in case they're watching but they've completely changed how they do church so they do church on a they do the church meeting on a saturday night and on sunday morning they do kind of home groups where they do church in people's homes for an opportunity to invite their neighbors and their friends so they do the evangelism on a sunday morning in their homes mm. and that and for those, some of the people have left the church because of it, because they just can't get their head around it. But the senior pastor and his wife 
during COVID, the Lord just said, you need to do a load of unlearning. You need to unlearn a load of stuff. Yeah. Change how you do it. Because yeah. it, the current thing, and, and you guys, and I'm not on commission, but the chosen, you may have seen it. <laughs> and I'm not on commission. There's no, you know. But when Jesus looks to Peter, when he calls, Jesus calls Matthew, the tax collector, and Peter says, yeah, but this is different. And Jesus just looked at him and said, well, get used to different. Mm. The church needs to. We need to just get used to different. It's just different now. Yeah, and he just say, God, what are you saying? What, what, what are you doing? And actually, I think that unlearn phrase is a brilliant one, actually, because, you know, there's, there's been an established way of how we've done it for a long time. And actually, COVID has meant that we've had to unlearn, relearn, <laughs> rethink. And actually, in one sense, there's been a new imagination, I think, in mission that's quite exciting as well. But actually, the, the, for me, the question has been, which I think you guys have brought up brilliantly, is the one we ca I came into Lando. It was actually, what does it mean for ordinary people who know and love Jesus in their everyday life to live a life where they're authentically them, you know. Yeah, what, what, I think the question I was, I, I talked about, what does it mean to be an indigenous Kingswoodian that loves Jesus? And, you know, or, or, or an indigenous, indigenous person from Hartcliffe who loves Jesus, or an indigenous person from French who loves Jesus, or a person in Paul or Eastbourne or, or wherever who loves Jesus, you know. Um, you know, being a local person, because I think there's something, there's something about that local person as well that I think is quite exciting. Um, I probably need to, wrap up because we, we, we normally try to keep it to the, to the hour but one of the things I used to like was that you guys used to get some great conversations by the fact that you you know you used to know oh you're yeah you I, I went to, I went to Speedwell school too or I went to such and such or oh yeah I, I know yeah I, I know you 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 were at footy with me you or you you know that idea of actually being local was a weird, was it was something that really gave you a a blessing and actually yeah that, that idea of equipping and enabling local evangelists local people to, to go out and be sort of like in their community it's something I find really exciting. But also, just to finish, oh, this is my last point, but being area that everybody knows you, because Kingswood's very territorial, so, you know, they knew what you were like at school, and then to see you now, they, they can see the difference. Yeah. You were this, and I, I remember talking outside of Chasers to the first girl, first girl I ever snogged. <laughs> when I was 11, a girl called Jessica. Now she's in, and what are you doing this? I mean, I remember you from school, and that, you know, so it's so close to home, you know, <laughs> grew up with you. So the authenticity comes through. It's like, I know you, I know what you were like, and now I see you now. Yeah. That, you know, that in itself is, um, you, can, you don't need to edit that bit. <laughs> <laughs> I, what you used to get when we used to go out on Street Pass, there was lots of girls saying that Mark looked like Jason Stratham, which always used to make me laugh. <laughs> well, I remember when, when, when uh, one of the, I think it was one of the girls or the blokes said they thought you because you were dressed as a vicar. They said, "Are you the stripper?" Remember that? <laughs> yeah, I was going to tell be the only stripper. They'd be shouting, "Put them on, put them on." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, on that note, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for so. Uh, been a really good, been a really good chat. Actually, some really exciting stuff's come out. So, yeah. So hopefully you've enjoyed watching watching this. It's been great. I'll be really enjoyed just catching up with you both as well. So, so bless you and I'll. I'll, I'll, yeah, and then we'll, we'll be um, doing another um, webinar um, next month in June, and we'll also be doing something slightly different in June as well. We're going to be having a, a, a challenge each week that people can maybe chat about on the on the weekly Zoom as well. So just, so thank, thank you. you.